This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. The Hockey News Podcast live stream is here. It's Matt Larkin with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell. We're sponsored by Christian Hockey. If you want to learn more about the new gear they have, check out ChristianHockey.com. There's the plug. Right. And now we can talk a little hockey. And, and you know, well, I'm going to say hockey with quotation marks because uh, what Milan Lucic engaged in on the weekend, uh, I don't know if I would call it hockey in the year 2019, but it was something on ice that involved hockey equipment, I guess. Uh, specifically Cole, a glove. Specifically <laughs> his gloves. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, Cole Sherwood. Uh, you know, if you looked at the entire play that happened, he lit up. Lucic with a with a little turnover, right? He stole the puck off yeah, him. Yeah, uh, he gets it in a little too tight on David Riddick and chops at him. It was Riddick, right? In that it, game, it yeah. was David. Riddick, chops yeah. at him, going to trying to stuff in the rebound. Uh, Lucic goes ballistic, sucker punches Sherwood, takes him down to the ice. Uh, the suspension happened, of course, two games. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'm going to turn it to you first. You just wrote about it yeah. uh, for the website. So give me your thoughts. Do you agree with the punishment for Milan Lucic, two-game suspension? Well, it's interesting. At first I did because I, I, I don't know. I guess I've just been so conditioned by the NHL to expect them not to be very hard on these things. And, and actually I was like, wow, they suspended him. That's great. Like that's great news. And then, and then, yeah. I, I mean, not to not to uh, steal your thunder, but you've kind of you kind of blew my cut, blew my cover by saying that it wasn't even near long enough of a suspension. And you're right. I mean, this should be a ten game suspension. In in any other sport, this that would be ten games. What he did would be ten games. Um, I, I mean, his. His history doesn't suggest that he learns very well. This is his fourth suspension. He's been fined five times. He's specifically been suspended and fined for doing exactly this kind of thing. And what I wor- I, I really worry that he's not going to get the message. And I think we can all see that Milan Lucic is a player in decline. He's got three years, I think, left after this year on his contract at 5.25 a year. Um, he desperately wants to make some kind of impact, and I think this is the only way he feels he can make an impact. I, I, I can see something really ugly happening in the future if he doesn't curb this kind of behavior. Like, does he want to go out like Marty McSorley? Is that what he wants to do? Like, is that how he wants to end his career? Because to me, that's where this is heading. It, it looked like the, the Todd Bertuzzi play. To me, it looked very similar. It was reaching a big punch and kind of yeah. going it down to the ice the with back, a guy. But, yeah, but then when yeah. they fell down to the ice, it kind of mm-hmm. was, right? Mm-hmm. And he, and and Sherwood's head, I think, bounced off the ice. And then Lucic was still in there giving him extra shots or trying to. So it reminded right. me of, of the Bertuzzi incident just without the injury at the end. But the action was kind of similar. But sorry, Ryan, you give me your thoughts first. So I have two thoughts on the matter. The first is... Lucic knows how important it is to protect your goaltender because he injured a goaltender years ago yeah. in Ryan Miller. Yep. The Buffalo Sabres completely fell apart after that incident. You know, it was like a big cultural reckoning with that team. They eventually had to rebuild. And, I mean, it helped them get Jack Eichel and, you know, Rasmus Dahlin and everything like that. Um, but, he, you know, he knows the stakes because he has been the aggressor. Here's what I don't get about the whole situation. Len Lucic, still a very tough guy. Cole Sherwood, big kid, but not like a big, yeah, like a nasty bruiser. character. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't Milan Lucic just say, hey, you touched my goalie, we're dropping the gloves, let's go, instead of sucker punching him? Yeah. Did he think he would lose that fight to Cole Sherwood? Right. No, that would have been so much more honorable and I know you guys don't but like that, fighting. But yeah. that's essentially what George Perros said. That's essentially yeah. what George Perros said in in, the, in in announcing the suspension. He mm-hmm. said he didn't give him a chance to either protect exactly. himself or to engage. And exactly. and I, as twisted as that kind of logic is, it kind of makes yeah, sense. It's better than a sucker punch. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It seems it's cowardly. Still, it's still pretty. 
twisted logic, but it yeah. kind of makes sense. He yeah. didn't give him any chance. Like, Cole Sherwood was skating away, wanted, you know, really, for better or worse, wanted nothing to do with the situation. Mm-hmm. He got a two-minute uh, slashing penalty, which is exactly what he should have gotten in that situation. He should not have been expecting to get punched in the head. I don't know if you guys have watched the one from kind of behind and up, for, uh, sort of the, the higher view. Like, he just drills him, and his head goes, yeah. right, snaps it's right bad. back. It is bad. It is vicious. And, and it's it was potentially really, really dangerous. Yeah. Even if it was an overreaction to the fact that Sherwood took one hack at Ridge, when the I, I believe the puck was still in play at the time, well, yeah, or close to yeah, it, you it know, was, you can yeah. give him the benefit yeah. of the doubt, or yeah. you know, depending on who you cheer for. But the simple solution, even even as an overreaction, was to say, "We're going. You don't touch my goaltender. We're going now, yeah. or we're going off the next faceoff. Whenever you would like. My dance card is open." It would have been so simple. Lucic would have yeah. got his point across. He would have defended his teammate. Would have defended the honor of the Flames, if you want to uh, put it that way. Wouldn't have been suspended. Message would have been received by Cole Sherwood. And that would have been that. Well, I, I'm not inside Milan Lucic's head. I'm I'm not in there. I don't know what he's thinking. But I've got to think that he was more upset at getting schooled mm. like three seconds before that than he was at anything else that 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 uh, that, that Cole Sherwood did to David Riddich. because Cole Sherwood stripped him the puck like it was a. A man stripping a puck from a kid, like it was. Yeah, I it guess was clean. I was like, it was simple. It was like, thank you. I'm taking the puck. I'm going right. in for a scoring chance. And I, you know, I mean, I can't. I can't, like I said, I'm not inside his head, but I've got to think he was more upset at that than anything that he did to David Rich. And it was an impulsive reaction. And I really agree with the logic of just you know giving giving Sherwood time to respond. And there's nobody who understands that better than George Peros. And I asked George this last year. I said, what, "What's your response to when people say you're an enforcer? What do you know about player safety? You know the opposite about player safety." And his response was, "Guess how many times I've been fined or suspended in my career? Zero. So he always knew how to play mm-hmm. on the right side of the line. So I, I, I get." That that logic. The weird thing is, in a lot of these decisions, I typically, you know, more than the average person, I'll fall on the side of player safety because I think that a lot of people don't understand how much the CBA uh, has to do with player safety decisions. So the example being, you know, if you say, why does the league punish injuries over action? So in the case of, let's say, Bertuzzi versus this one, it's because it's in the CBA. So once once the league decides that a player is to be suspended, only then can two things lengthen a suspension. Uh, past history of the offender, so Lichich didn't have 18 months, within 18 months an offense, so that, that helps him. And injury. Sherwood went to concussion protocol, but he returned to the game. So right. both those things helped Lucic, and they shortened the suspension. But even so, so normally I'd say, well, that's why, you know, I can see the logic, that's why it's a two-game suspension, because he got both those things that kind of helped him get out of jail, not free, but earlier. But at the same time, I, I, I was still shocked to see two games because the attack was so predatory, and, and the narrative does matter. The fact that Lucic was embarrassed earlier in the play, that he didn't give Sherwood any time to respond. And yes, it's not a good thing when you're chopping at a goalie, but the play was it was pretty live. Like I don't think that Sherwood knew for sure. It happened so fast with him chopping at Riddick. I don't think he knew for sure that yeah. the puck was frozen. Right. Uh, and to me, it was so predatory, and especially, it's not just the sucker punch, but the fact that he was still hitting him or trying to hit him once he, once he fell to the ice. I think it was particularly vicious, and so easily could have been a Steve Moore situation. To me, the attacks weren't that different. It was like the big punch and then big heavy guy falling and another guy still trying to get him. And in this case, you know, Sherwood doesn't suffer a, a major neck injury, but he very well easily could have. And yeah. I, I think you have to factor that in. Uh, I would have liked to see, I don't know, at least five games for that, maybe more. So to me, two games, I'm a little disappointed. That's where I fall. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like I said in my blog, it was like a bazoo- taking a bazooka gun to a hornet's nest. You know, I mean, what Riddich... Or Which sounds sorry, what, fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. What, what, um, what Cole Sherwood did was wrong. It was against the rules. It goes against the culture of the game. I get all that. But you've got to read the room. You've got to have some perspective here, right? I mean, it's like, come on. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's wrong. And, it's, and it's, it's not open season on goaltenders, and it never should be open season on goaltenders. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, let's let's be realistic here. It didn't deserve that. Right. Yeah. Uh, there was a report on the weekend from Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman that uh, it appeared Dustin Bufflin and the Winnipeg Jets are going to be heading to a neutral arbitrator to figure out 
what's going on with Lucic's salary because he has been suspended without pay. The Jets claim that you know he had a clean bill of health at the end of the season, so they shouldn't have had to pay him. And he claims that you know he was gutting through it, and and the injury showed up as he was preparing for the season, and he should be paid while he's out with an injury. So who knows what's going to happen when they get the the neutral arbiter to take care of it. But what I'm kind of curious about um, is what's Dustin Bufflin's future? If we assume, if we play along and say, okay, he's going to get healthy in time to play this season, uh, and this negotiation is is reportedly emotional, was the word I believe Elliot used, is this a burnt bridge with Bufflin and the Jets? And the reason why I ask that is I'm looking at Bufflin's contract. He has a no-trade clause, but it's just a 14-team no-trade list, so there's 17 or 16 teams he can be traded to. Uh, he's only got two years left on his deal, including this one at $7.6 million. That's a really good price for Dustin Bufflin, and it's not a big investment in terms of the amount of time left on the contract. So, do you see a scenario in which the Jets, uh, when Luci or when uh, Bufflin is healthy, would they trade him? Well, I don't think they want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've already lost half their defense core, and they're they're dropping like flies as it is in Winnipeg. So, I, I don't see that happening. I, I just don't understand this on so many levels. I, I don't understand how. Bufflin could have came in, could have come in to training camp and said, I'm hurt, I need surgery, and I'm, I'm going to go and get it. And he could have been, the, the, the team would have been like, okay, fine, uh, you're getting surgery and you're getting paid. So, but instead, he walks away from all of that and says he wants to contemplate his future. And then he goes off and has his own surgery done. And without, you know, without the team being sort of party to all of it, and then now he's turning around saying it's a hockey injury and I want to be paid. There, there's some s- s- people yeah. know people like nobody knows. Nobody there's knows. There's a piece missing. There's a in the bunch story. of pieces missing yeah. to this mm. whole thing. And I, I think until we know what those pieces are, I'm not sure any of us can accurately kind of project how this thing is going to turn out mm. or how things you know should be or are because. We just don't have the information. We just don't, and nobody has it other than the Winnipeg Jets, Dustin Bufflin, his representative, is maybe the NHL. And obviously, somebody's telling everybody to keep quiet here and and, and toe the line, and they all are. So, I, I, I mean, because none of it makes any sense. None of it makes any sense, but it doesn't, it's not looking good. This is kind of. This is kind of what Kawhi, did, Kawhi Leonard did in in San yeah, Antonio yeah. before forcing yeah. a trade to Toronto, right? Like so, I mean, the precedent is there. The hard feelings caused the trade, and the trade happened, and we all know what happened after that. So, um, obviously, they're not on the same page. They are not on the same page with a bunch of things. And, I mean, is that enough for them to dig in their heels and say, we don't want you and we're going to trade you? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I like your assessment there. I think you're bang on with all the uh, the variables. I feel that if things get worked out on that contractual level, and Bufflin when Bufflin is healthy to play, I feel with his personality that maybe it could be water under the bridge mm-hmm. to yeah. continue the bridge metaphors instead of burning it. It's water under it. I feel like he could come back to Winnipeg and finish out this contract. The X factor for me is if if he's looking for somewhere else, you know, would he take a trade to Minnesota, his home state, or is he the type of guy that would prefer not to have the pressure of playing in front of the home state audience? I'm not sure. I'm not in Bufflin's head. But it strikes me that I, I think these two sides could get together. Right now, it seems like there's a lot of legal stuff going on. A lot of posturing, it seems, lot, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and just a lot of financial things, a lot of sort of lawyering up, which is very necessary. And I don't think we can downplay the fact that, you know, Bufflin and his agent, Ben Hankinson, they have to look out for what's best for Bufflin. And sometimes that's going to go against what may be best for the Winnipeg Jets and things like 
their financial situation, their, I don't know if it affects the salary cap per se, because if he's injured, he's injured, uh, but they can suspend him and, and get some of that money back. So I, I see two sides that right now are trying to do the best for themselves in a very strict contractual legal sense. And, you know, hopefully for Jets fans and for Bufflin, that is kind of compartmentalized and when he is back it's like all right well let's get back to playing hockey that's what we all want to do we want big buff on the jets you know we had to do that stuff we all had to cover ourselves but now we can move on i feel like for some players maybe that would be too much but something inside me says that bufflin could forgive them based based on the information we have right now, which admittedly is scant. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, like throughout his Jets career, he's been very happy in that market because yeah. it's the second closest market to his home state. And we know his enthusiasm for, you know, the outdoors and fishing. He's a huge fishing fishing nut. And lifestyle-wise, I think it fits. But the thing is, it's not like he has the ability to block trades to every team. So if the Jets decide that on their end that they think they need, it's time to sever the relationship and cash in that chip, they still have the ability to do it because right. there's 16 markets yep. to which he can go. And, and if you and if you if they want to keep him, if he wants to play hockey, yeah, I mean, they, they hold the cards in that respect too, right? Yep. If he wants to play, he's going to have to play in Winnipeg or go to where he's dealt. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing too is if they make a trade, if they decide they're in a, you know the relationship is, is irreparably damaged and Bufflin's healthy enough to play, the Jets are still a win-now kind of operation. <laughs> so I think it would have to be some kind of hockey trade that brings oh, yeah. in some defensive help that, <laughs> that they could use right now. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be a complicated trade to figure out. This reeks to me as one of those situations where he says it's hockey related and they're saying, no, it happened this summer while you were water while skiing. While he was fishing, or, yeah. Fishing yeah. or water skiing or doing something. He got that's, bit by a fish. It seems to me like that's, like what What else could it be? I, I, I'm not sure what else it could be. Yeah, it's sort of one of those read between the lines, like something doesn't add up. I, I, I agree. Uh, one of the interesting stories, and I don't know, stop me if this is just in my head. But I say, no. why is no one talking about the Islanders? But I feel like no one's talking about the Islanders. I cannot remember a nine-game winning streak, streak that was this quiet. Yeah. Like, I had to double-take. I was like, man, the Islanders have won nine games in a row. And I'm trying to figure out what is the reason for that. The, the one possibility is just that they're doing it by defense. And, you know, their leading scorer has 11 points right. in 13 games. So it's not, it's not sexy, per se. Yeah. But what do you guys think is the reason why this is flying so far under the radar? That that's exactly it. It's not a sexy team. It's just a really good hockey team, yeah. just like they were last year. The one sort of fly in the ointment is that once again their possession numbers are at the bottom of the NHL or near the bottom. However, under Barry Trotz, that hasn't mattered so far. Usually, teams run out of steam at some point. You know where possession numbers come back to bite them. You know we saw that with the Colorado Avalanche that one year under Patrick Waugh. Um, you know we've seen it with a couple of teams since then. Didn't happen to the Islanders. They got into the playoffs. They swept the Penguins. By all you know measurements, it was a successful campaign. They're doing it against this again this year. They don't have a single player who's a point per gamer right now, but they have a lot of good players who are putting up offense. You know, Devon Taves is doing really well. As you said, Barzell is doing his thing. They're getting great goaltending once again from both goaltenders. Yep. This time, Varlamov, instead of Lehner, Thomas Grice, resumes his role as Thomas Grice. Um, <laughs> and it's just, they've got the structure. Like, it's it's not it's not sexy. It's not necessarily, like, fun to talk about. But, I mean, you have to give the Islanders credit for being a really, really good hockey team. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't have a score in the top 50. It, although they've only played 13 games. I'm not sure anybody's played fewer games than they have to this point. They don't have a score in the top 50. They're not... They're they're not like at the top of any of the sexy stats. Like their their power play is okay. Their shots per game is like I think the lowest in the league. I think they only take twenty seven or twenty eight shots a game. But they're great so, shots. So they're not they're not like they're not in any of those like dynamic stats. But I think it goes a lot deeper than this. I think it's it's sort of. <sighs> It's sort of emblematic of just the Islanders' plight over the last decade or so. Or so. Like, they are drawing something like 11,431 fans right now. They've played every one of their games in 
in Long in Nassau in the old arena in Nassau, which seats thirteen thousand. So they're playing they're they're playing before twenty five hundred empty seats average every game. Um, you know, so you can't really blame the whole Brooklyn thing, but I I, I think. The problem is, is that they're they're nomads right now. They don't really have a home where they're playing right now. Whether it's in Nassau or in Brooklyn, you know that's not where they're going to be long term. You know, you got to figure out where they're playing that night. Uh, you know, I, I mean, they're not going to play many games in Brooklyn this year, but they are going to play some, and we'll see what happens when they start playing in Brooklyn. But I mean, to me, this this Belmont project cannot get done mm-hmm. quickly enough. I mean, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be finished in twenty. 21. Uh, I don't know if there's any way they can get those guys to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week through all four seasons and get it done sooner. Because to me, this like this can't get done soon enough. Now, so you're saying your theory is because of the fact that they're nomadic, they're just getting less attention because they they have less focused fan base. Is well, that what yeah, you're saying? I mean, because I mean, you're not invested, right? Like you're not invested. Are they in Brooklyn? Are they in? Lo- are they? Are they in Nassau? Are they in? You know, the, it's like the Chargers. They're they're, yeah. they're the the Chargers of yeah, the, exactly. the NHL right now. Yeah, I think I think it's hard for people to get really jacked up about a team that that moves around like that and that they you know that that you know hey honey are they playing in brooklyn or uh, nassau tonight well okay they're playing in nassau okay well let's take the long island railroad and go you know i mean but i mean clearly you know i mean it doesn't matter where they play they're not drawing like like i mean it's not like i i mean the the uh the, the the Nassau rink is the smallest rink in the league. It's like thirteen thousand nine hundred seats, but they're averaging eleven four. So it's not like they're even coming close. Where everybody said, you know, oh, you know, put them back in the old building. You know, that's where their that's where their roots are. That's where the fan base is. That's you know, well, they've played all their game, all eight games this year in that building, and they're not. They sold it out for the first game, and they haven't even come close since then. Just crazy for a team with nine straight wins, and it's weird because I was a bit hard on them in the offseason, thinking they were a big regression candidate because of the fact they were so dependent on their goaltending. But the thing is, you know, if you look at your PDO, which is your shooting percentage, your goaltending put, or save percentage put together, kind of you know the approximation of puck luck. You know, if your goaltending is good, your PDO is always going to be good, or at least average, depending on your shooting percentage. And if your goaltending is good every year, then the PDO is not going to regress. And it's a testament to the Mitch Korn goaltending umbrella. Mm-hmm. And I said it in the summer, you know, Semyon Varlamov going into this season was at a higher point than Robin Lehner was a year ago. Right? right, so in terms right. of the piece of clay right. to mold, he was at a high, he was at a better starting point than Laner was, and we saw Laner, of course, became a Vesna Trophy finalist. So it shouldn't be that big of a surprise that Varlamov, even though I know Mitch Korn is not the official goaltending coach, he's the he's sort of overseeing all of it, director of goaltending. It's still just amazing to see wherever this man goes, the effect on just every goalie that touches him is just remarkable, yeah. and we're seeing it again and. I'm kind of feeling like, well, I, I, they've given us no reason to believe that it's going to stop. I think I think Grice is at 9.33, Varlamov 9.29. So it's looking like last year all over again. If the Islanders continue to get that kind of goaltending, maybe they're going to be a competitive team again. Oh, they are. They are competitive. Yeah, I mean, nine in a row. That's competitive. Yeah. But you know what I mean? They're going to keep being competitive. Yeah, they're going to start scoring more goals. A uh, reminder, uh, we're still taking questions later, live Q&A, or you can submit comments like our buddy, Taylor Wilson, who says, you guys are horrible. Hey, Taylor. Love you, buddy. He said that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, next question. The NCAA, uh, the board last week, made a major decision that's going to impact college sports across the U.S. a ton, which is the, the decision to finally let students endorse brands and accept sponsors. So we know that, obviously, in college football, that's going to have a massive impact, college basketball. But the question to me is, is is that going to be felt in the same way in hockey? Because I wonder, you know, you do have a Johnny Hockey who comes along every once in a while, but that's the key, every once in a while. The level of stardom for college hockey stars is, is nowhere near what you see uh, in football and basketball and even other sports in the U.S. So, uh, Ryan, I want to start with you because this is more your domain than ours. Mm. Uh, what is the ripple effect going to be, if any, on the college landscape? I think it's very intriguing, and for me, it... It kind of boils down to the race for talent between the NCAA and Major Junior. Does this help out in any way, or does it mean a a groundswell or or at least a shift from college hockey to say, if you've played Major Junior, we're now okay with you playing college? Because right now, that's a big eligibility no-no. Even if you play 
an exhibition game in Major Junior, that wrecks your eligibility for the NCAA because they believe that Major Junior players are professionals, which the CHL, obviously, with their ongoing litigation uh, with some of their former players, they say, no, no, they are student athletes. So there's a gulf there between the two. Does that get smaller because of this new thing? That's pretty interesting to me. The other thing is, you know, when it comes to players, it's interesting because with with hockey, I think the graduation rate is the best in all of men's sports in in college, or it's right at the top. Uh, It tends to hover around 96%, maybe even better than that. If you don't get a job in the NHL, you can make a living in the AHL. You can make a living in about 10 different leagues in Europe. So it's not like... NFL football where you basically have 32 teams to play for or else you're just out of luck. Basketball, I think you can probably play a bit in Europe, but if you're not in the NBA, you're kind of out of luck. Hockey, there's a little more opportunity. Having said that, I'm intrigued to see in some of these really big college markets, do we start to see sort of local endorsements like I I look at North Dakota for example you know that team is one of the most popular in the state they don't have any major pro teams and they love their hockey so you know could you see you know like had this been in Jonathan Taves's era with North Dakota could you have seen a bunch of Jonathan Taves t-shirts would Jonathan Taves be doing ads for the local Ford dealership for example would he be able to take a car from the local Ford dealership and you know tool it around Grand Forks that to me is what's interesting and then of course what happens to major junior players you know we saw Connor McDavid get some big endorsement deals when he was with the Erie Otters and it became very clear that he was going to be an NHL superstar very soon but do we see it on a smaller level with Players like Quentin Byfield in Sudbury with players like Alex Lafreniere in Ramuski or whoever the next iterations of those players are. Do we see more endorsements, more marketing opportunities because all of a sudden the competition from college gets a lot greater where it's like, hey, you get a degree and you can get paid, whereas before you could only get a degree. I I think it's a really interesting kind of can of worms that's being opened here. Yeah, see, I I think that... uh Short of maybe putting a few bucks into the genes of a few college players, into the genes, yeah, into the specifics, yeah, or or the the uh, the khakis if they go to Ivy League schools, <laughs> but uh, but I don't see this as having much of an effect at all. I mean, you know a lot more about this stuff than I do, Ryan, mm-hmm. but I, I just I think hockey is such a niche niche sport, especially at the college level, in a place like Minnesota or North Dakota or you know Minnesota Duluth, whatever places like that where it is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I can see, you know, that players making a few extra bucks, mm-hmm. and and that's great, and that's yeah. that's all well and good, you know. But in a place like, you know, Michigan or Ohio State or whatever, like it's not. I don't. I don't think it, they're much of a. There's much of a blip, even if they're a good team. They're mm-hmm. they're not really getting that much because the football and basketball teams are so dominant and mm. take up so much of the oxygen, right? Um, I think you know when it comes to endorsements for these young guys, I I don't know that that companies look at it. I think the way the company looks at it is let's give this kid a few bucks now and get him on board so that right. in four years when he's a superstar in the NHL, he remembers that we were the ones that, that stuck our necks out and signed him when he was 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And then that, that loyalty stays and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay with you guys. Right. Um, I don't see it having a huge effect, but um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be like, yeah, okay, great. You know, Paul Correa, when he was at the University of Maine, you know, maybe he would have gotten a few, you know, Orono local businesses to give some, give him some money and give him some yeah. stuff, and he could have kept it, and yeah. that's great. I think so, too, and there's sort of a catch-22 with stardom in college hockey in, in terms of if you're a huge superstar on the level right. of getting sponsorship – then you're probably playing major junior, not college. And there are exceptions, like Jack Eichel will be an example of the rare exception, a late birthday, who was able to, to be drafted while he was already in college. But mm. right. that's pretty rare overall, right, compared to most guys are already drafted. And the best guys will turn pro 
right, yeah. right away or after one year yeah. or or they're already just going right to the pros you know at 18 years old so the kind of players that are on college teams especially the guys with sustained sort of equity in their market are guys you know if you're playing till you're 22 you're probably not a big star right. that's why I agree with you're Ryan you're gone like, in a year you're yeah, gone in yeah. A exactly year. so yeah. in a local good, market yeah if you're yeah. a really good, NA, good player who's an NHL going to be an NHL impact player you're gone in yeah a year. you're Quinn Hughes yeah right yeah. exactly uh Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall is making things interesting. I feel like we're talking about him every week on the podcast, but he just continues to do things, and the Devils continue to do things. They've been a very newsworthy team all offseason, yeah. and now their struggles are making news. And, and Taylor Hall had something very interesting to say last week. I'm going to read the full quote. Uh, and, you know, to me, if you're a Devils fan, this makes you very nervous, in my opinion. He says, we're kind of battling our own fans right now. We are one for three on the power play, and we're getting booed. It's a tie game. We are getting booed. It's That's a tough environment to play in sometimes, especially when you're at home. I know that when we're playing somewhere and their fans start booing, it's a fun environment environment for the away team to play in. Hmm. I understand the fans' frustration after the game. If they are booing because we're losing, that's fine. But when we're one for three in the power play and they're booing our power play, that is tough. If you're playing at home, you want to feed off the energy of the crowd and not let that affect you, but sometimes it does. And I know he, he walked that back a couple days later, but that's still, to me, that sounds like someone who, I don't want to say at odds with the fan base, but that doesn't sound like someone who is really eager to sign in the weeks and months to come, I know that he's reportedly going to be, you know, he and his agent, Darren Ferris, are going to meet with the Devils, or at least Darren Ferris is going to meet with the Devils this week, right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. That makes me very skeptical. And if I'm hearing those comments and I'm really sure, I'm like, <laughs> update trade block. What do you guys think? I think that expectations in New Jersey this year were too high. And, you know, we talked about it a lot before the season. This is not necessarily going to be a good team. They were just supposed to be, at best, a fun team. And maybe they haven't been that fun either, although, you know, Jack Hughes has had his moments. But this is a team that's rebuilding. And they brought in some big names. And I think people thought, okay, well, now we got Subban um, bringing in Gusev and Simmons. And, of course, they drafted Jack Hughes. We're going to be good right away. You got to give them time to gel. You got to give them time, all of them, to be on the same page with each other. And, you know, for all these new guys, on the same page as John Hines. And it it takes some time. And unfortunately, you know, Devils fans are a passionate crew. They've seen the top of the mountain. They've seen those Stanley Cup championships. They want to get back to relevancy. And I think it's just a matter of patience where... It's been a bad start. Some of the, the new guys haven't been clicking yet. And that frustration is seeping into the team now, where with Taylor Hall, like you said, like one for three on the power play, like 33%, that would be a great power play on the year. If, you're, if your team is 33% on the power play, the you Bruins. would be stoked. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think... For me, that's what this is all about. Uh, you know, like we've said this a couple of times on the podcast, Taylor Hall is most likely going to test the market this summer. He may very well return to the New Jersey Devils, but he's going to at least see what's out there, as is his right. But the here and now is that the team is struggling, and I think the fans are in, getting impatient, and it's affecting the players. I think, you know... They string together a couple of wins, and maybe in December none of this matters. But right now, it's just kind of a—it's an unsettling environment to be in. Um, well, did you see it too when he scored? He did the, uh, Ooh, the nice. glove over Again, the thing like, on the weekend. Oh, yeah, that's, he did that. See, but that's I, trolling your see, own but fans, I, man. I don't think I don't think this has anything to do with any of that stuff. I think I think New Jersey Devils should enjoy the the New Jersey Devils and their fans should enjoy Taylor Hall while they have him because he's going to be gone. He's gonna go to he's gonna go to unrestricted free agency and he's gonna sign somewhere else, and just go on that assumption because, like Kawhi Leonard, it all yeah, comes exactly, back to Kawhi. Exactly, and, and but but to me it's it's like he's gone anyways. He's in my opinion he's gone. I mean Darren Ferris does not take his client does not like his his reality is that he wants his guys, especially his big guys and his and his his high profile guys to go to unrestricted free agency because they have that chance. He has the chance to do this once in his career, mm-hmm. and 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 good on him for taking it or whatever. I mean, good on him for whatever he wants to do. But he has earned that right, and and he's probably going to go. And I think this other stuff is born out of the fact that he really wants to win. He's he's frustrated. 
and he wants to win, and he's frustrated that the fans are booing him, uh, booing booing the team, the team yeah. and and he thinks that's counterproductive, and he wants to win. I think I think that's all that is. I don't think this is him greasing the skids to leave or anything because I think he's gone anyways. I, I don't think he's like sitting there plotting, saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm going to alienate myself against the fans, and then they'll want me gone." And then I, 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 so I, mean? I think more it's more on a subconscious level. I don't mean deliberate. I mean yeah. more like yeah. is someone who plans to stay going to mm. think like that or speak like that? To me, whether he knows it or not, it's almost like it seems like he's he's mentally already saying goodbye. You can make right. that case. Right. To me, it's also, you know, it, it, the Devils are seven points out of a wild card spot right now. And we know the, the cliche expression in hockey, it's the Thanksgiving. Are you in the playoff spot by American Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. That's less than a month away. Mm-hmm. If you reach American Thanksgiving and you're out of a playoff spot and you're Ray Shero. And you're not the St. Louis Blues. Right. You're not St. Louis Blues. <laughs> who, who, did have, who did have like guys like Pietrangelo on the block last year. I know. But the difference is Taylor Hall is a UFA, uh, and Pietrangelo was not. Mm-hmm. He had another year left mm-hmm. on his deal. Uh, do you have to start thinking about the fact that, you know, if you trade Taylor Hall in November or December pre-roster fee- freeze, are you going to get a better return than if you're renting him out for just a couple months at the end of the season? You might get an extra pick, yep. a slightly better prospect. If a, if a team's getting him for more than half a season, yeah. I think you have to at least consider it. Darn right. Agree? Yeah. Disagree? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. For agree. sure. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to take some questions. Ooh, this is a good one from D-Bart. D-Bart. Asks Debart sounds kind of like a rapper or something, a DJ maybe. <laughs> Debart asks, "Is Mark Stone a top ten player in the league? If so, what number would he be?" I I, I love the love for Mark Stone. I agree that he's in the discussion. I, I don't think it's egregious to put him that high. I don't know. Is, is he definitely top ten? He might not have quite the offensive ceiling to be in that tier. I think you know he's gonna. For his career, he might. This might be. This might go down as his peak season. He might be a, a 40, 40, 80 kind of guy this as early as this year, uh, and I think he's the best defensive winger since Jerry Lettinen, best defensive winger of his generation, best puck interception artist in the entire NHL. Yep. In my opinion, maybe the best defensive forward in the NHL, and he did get my first place Selkie vote last year. Love Mark Stone. Um, and he's guy. He's kind of guy like if the Olympics were today, if we could snap our finger and the NHLers were in the Olympics and they were starting, they are picking the rosters for Team Canada tomorrow, Mark Stone's on that team. Absolutely. He's on the shutdown line. No problem. So uh, I don't know if I would put him in the top 10 off the top of my head, but I, I think he's in the top 20. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I thought no because for for the same reason you said I don't I'm not sure that the offense that, that the offense is there um, on a consistent enough basis. He is he is having a good year and he and he is a good offensive player, um, but he's not. I mean, he's not he's not Sergei Fedorov, you know, and ter- or he's not Sidney Crosby when it comes to that kind of putting up those kinds of numbers and playing the two way games. So, um, but he's close. Yeah, he's close. I, I would say he's. If he's not in the top 10, he's certainly flirting with the top 10 the way he's playing, for sure. Yeah, I I would say at least top 15. You know, the names that sort of roll off the tongue are McDavid, Dreisaitl, Crosby, you know, Kucherov, Matthews, Bergeron. I mean, basically Boston's top line, Nathan McKinnon. You know, toss a couple of defensemen in there right now. John Carlson would lead the pack. Maybe one goalie gets in the top 15 right now. I feel it's like a pretty weak time for goaltending. Mm-hmm. Yep. But once you knock off a couple more top-line centers, then you get to Mark Stone. I, I would certainly think he's one of the first wingers to be on that list, like pure wingers, because Dreisaitl can play both. But he would be one of the first pure wingers to be on that list. So I would say like top 15 would be safe, somewhere between 10 and 15. All right. Uh, next question is from David Barassa. And David, uh, we're going to answer this one quickly because there's an article on our website right now that tackles this topic, okay? Right uh, it's it's about JT Miller, this question. Oh, sure Can right. JT Miller keep up the pace and become a point-per-game player? Uh, I'm going to say no. Even though I'm not surprised that JT Miller has been a good Vancouver Canuck so far in his career, we have seen JT Miller placed in a beautiful situation before, and it doesn't last. So uh, JT Miller was a point-per-game guy when he came over at the trade deadline. I think he was with Stamkos and Kucherov. Uh, the year before last, if I remember correctly. And I think he had 19 points in 20 games or 18 and 19 games, something in that range. Uh, he was a first-round pick with New York Rangers. He's got the ability to play wing or center. He's settled in as more of a winger now. He's got good size. He can do a lot of things well. But one thing he has not shown uh, over the course of his career, if there's been one major knock on his game, it has been inconsistency. So he's a streaky player, always has been. Uh, so even if he's on a pace close to a point per game, I think his career best numbers might settle in. You know, If he, if he has the best season of his career, he might 
might be more of a 60-point type of year, which yeah. is still great. You know, Vancouver gave yeah. a first-round pick to get him. If you if they knew at the time they were going to get 60 points out of JT Miller, they'd say, yes, absolutely worth it. So I think it's a good trade so far. I just don't think... Uh, to me, JT Miller at this age, he's getting close to his mid to late 20s now. Uh, I think if he was going to be that level of player, we would have seen it by now. But when you get the opportunity that he's having, like, I mean, he didn't have it in New York, and he, he clearly wasn't the go-to offensive guy in Tampa Bay. Um, so he, he, he didn't have that kind of opportunity. And I think that's what he's getting now. He's getting an, a, a really big opportunity on a team that's young and exciting and a lot better than any of us ever thought. Like, I, I would have thought, yeah, if, if, if Vancouver was, was not a good team, you'd say, yeah, he could be a really good bad team player. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these guys that get 75 points on a team that finishes 28th in the league mm-hmm. um, but you know clearly the, the the Vancouver Canucks are much better than that they're much better than any of us thought they're much more dynamic offensively than any of us thought not and me I called it I called it did you think they were going to score like this I said they're going to be the surprise team just well, saying yeah, it you did uh, say that you did say that but but I, I'm not sure that they need him to be a point of game guy what they need him to be is what he's being and that's a kind of guy that brings in uh, uh, you know, uh, a pedigree that mm. that shows these guys the way a little bit. Fair. Yeah, I, I think he's like a 65-point guy, and the Canucks are off to a great start. What will be interesting for a team that doesn't have a track record of winning is what they do in the second half when the schedule starts to, you know, move on and, it, you know, the games get harder. That's that's going to be the acid test for me for Vancouver, and it'll be a great challenge for them because this is clearly a team on the rise in general, not just for this season, but, I mean, they're building towards something really solid, and I think the second half will really dictate how close they are to contending, and Miller will be a, an important part of that. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh, fun one from Sam McGrath, and Sam asks, at this point, who is leading the Calder Trophy race? And it's a much more interesting question than we might have thought, mm-hmm. you know, a month ago, because it's not been this, you know, Jack Hughes running away with things, or Capo Caco. Caco's been pretty bad, and he's even called himself terrible so far. Yeah. Hughes, obviously, has started to pick it up after the slow start, and Quinn, his brother, is banged up now. Uh, the name I want to throw out there is, what about Ethan Bear? That guy's playing a lot of minutes in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Like, I was looking at his game mm-hmm. log. He's getting some big nights of minutes, significant role. I think he's sort of emerged as a dark horse. I know Victor Olsen was, I, th- I think he was Rookie of the Month if, I'm, if I remember correctly. He scored yeah, a lot I of goals. Right, but yeah. he's gone cold now too. Yeah. He's been moved off that top he's line. Nothing. He's doing nothing yeah. on Steven five. just butting uh, in yeah, again. to chirp, just, to yeah, chirp just, Victor yeah, Olsen. Yeah, yeah. Steven just yeah. out to get Victor Olsen. <laughs> the only time Steven speaks up, he's like, I'm going after Victor Olsen. But I think, I don't know, those the two guys that are leading the race, is there somebody else you have in mind? What do you think? Kale McCarr. Yeah, Kale McCarr. So I I think it was his race to lose, yep. yeah. and I think it's still his race mm-hmm. to lose. Yeah. He's 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 been really good. Yep. He's yeah. been really good. Putting and, up points, playing yeah. on a really good yep. team. He's he was kind of the he was the consensus guy for me heading into the season. He was the front runner. It's so yep. hard for a, a younger player like a Jack Hughes, a, a player who's coming into the league straight from the draft. It's really hard to win the Calder when you're coming straight from the draft, even though a lot of those guys turn out to be stars or even superstars for whatever reason. He's heating up, though. He's, he's heating, heating up. up. He's getting better. He's playing yep. with more confidence. He's he's starting to put up points. Yep. I, I would not I would not be surprised if he's right there at the end of the year, by the end of the year. I would not be surprised if he's right there in the conversation. Very possible. But for me, Kale McCarr, you know, he's already seen NHL playoff action. He's played the college game before, and he's already an important cog on a very good avalanche team. That, to me, gives him at least the inside track right now. And then, of course, he just has to maintain that throughout the schedule. Good. Uh, Next one is from Tyler Hebner. Tyler asks... What is the real problem in San Jose? Defensive depth, goaltending, the system. How much how do they, time? Do you yeah, have? how much time? And he, even Tyler knows it. He lists off like several things because it is hard to figure out what that the problem Logan, is. Logan Couture has one goal. Yeah, Timo Meyer has two goals. It's not. It's not good. And you know, it's hard to pick one thing. Um, but there are two problems that I think that we identified before the season even started. So it's it's foresight twenty twenty in this case. 
Goaltending was horrible last year. They're 29th in save percentage this year. And so nothing's changed there. And also, you know, the the depth at right wing. Last I checked, it was Barkley Goodrow, I think, in the second line. Yeah. Right wing spot. And losing Joe Pavelski has been catastrophic. Catastrophic mm. for them so far. Because they have this large group of prospects that are not A-grade prospects. And like, no disrespect to guys like Sasser Chmielewski, guys like that. They're not A-grade prospects. They weren't necessarily ready to dive right into the second line on a contending team. So they could not just fill that spot with true second liners. And I think that depth problem, it's, it's been offense. It's been, I think, as much of a problem as, as the goaltending. But I don't know. That's, that's where I stand. But it, it's hard to pick one thing. Yeah, I mean, this, this season was always going to be a bit of an experiment for the Sharks because they had that wave of new kids that they wanted to see who would seize the job. You mentioned Chemilevsky, there's Ivan Chekovich, uh, Dylan Gambrell, who was a little more experienced than those other two guys, uh, Joachim Blitzfeld. Like, there was a long list in the offseason that the Sharks had where they wanted to say, okay, who's going to be our next Kevin LeBanc? Who's going to be the next Timo Meyer, uh, the next Thomas Hurdle? And those guys are still trying to find their place early on. And I, I think, yeah, goaltending's been a problem. Structure in general has been a problem they just they just don't seem cohesive right now and yeah I mean Pavelski obviously kind of getting into the twilight of his career but sometimes the you know it's it's not tangible it's the intangibles of a Joe Pavelski that can really impact a squad that I guess didn't realize how much they would miss him until he was gone or maybe they didn't they just couldn't keep him for that long and this has to be a team where they're mid-tier guys guys that were mid-tier guys uh, have to develop and, and have to improve. Like Thomas Hurdle, he's he's got I think four goals. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 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 had a rough start. You know, we talked about Logan Couture, one goal. Timo Meyer, two goals. I mean, this is not Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe's team anymore, and it shouldn't be. These guys should be coming up and grabbing those spots and 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 making it their team, and and they haven't done that yet. That's true. I can't. Timo Meyer is the guy that's just completely shocked me. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's one of those. He looked like he was on such an upward trajectory last year. Just he was third. I think third five and five in shots per sixty minutes last year. Like right up there with like Brendan Gallagher, the shooting machines, and with the increase in ice time, I thought he was going to be a forty goal guy. And so far, it's just not happening. It's one of those. Like, is he hiding an injury? What can explain it? Or is it just bad luck so far? I don't know. But the Sharks are going to have a. I think a hard time digging out of that hole because they're just they're and I know they've been the team that over and over they survive every time it looks like their numbers finally up they find a way out of it but eventually it's going to catch up to you because your best players are going to age and and your best players are going to get more and more expensive such as Eric Carlson and it just squeezes the overall talent off the roster right we saw it happen in Chicago a couple of years ago it might be happening in Pittsburgh or it could happen soon happened in LA mm-hmm. and maybe it's happening in San Jose the difference is there's no cup to go with it mm. in San Jose, which which stinks. Uh, we're going to do one more question, and this is from David Hart. Uh, outside of the top stars like Quentin Byfield, who is someone we should be looking at during the Canada-Russia series? So, Ryan, that's your jurisdiction. I want to hear your thoughts, mm-hmm. and then maybe we'll riff after that. Sure. So I'm going to toss out a couple of names here. Uh, first for Team Russia, Rodion Amirov. Uh, this is a kid who is up for the 2020 draft. It's fun that they're bringing him over because often we don't see the biggest names that are playing over in Russia in the CHL series. Uh, last year, you know, Peter Kachetkov actually played net, but none of us had heard of him before. He turned out to be a star goaltender, and Carolina ended up drafting him uh, this past summer. But Amirov is a first-round talent, lots of skill, quick guy. It'll be fun to see him over here. Um, another name that I'm really intrigued by because he's started off the season so hot is Joel Hoffer, the St. Louis Blues prospect. He's a goaltender with the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL. He was not at Canada's summer camp. They had a whole other roster of goaltenders, none of whom really stood out. Hoffer is six foot five. And as I think his save percentage is like 933 or 938 this year. So he's obviously off to a tremendous start. I think he could really make a case for himself at least to get a December invite if he plays well. And then the last name I'll mention is Connor McMichael, who was on fire for the London Knights. He'll play for Team OHL. He's a Washington Capitals first rounder. He the was. The bizarro Connor McDavid. That's right. Uh, They share an agent, too, which is kind of funny. Um, He was at the summer camp, so he's obviously more so on the radar for Canada. But because of the numbers he's putting up, uh, even though 
he's not going to be one of the elder statesmen on the team. I think he has a chance to assert himself with a good performance for Team OHL. All right. And I know David said he, he the question is outside of top stars like Byfield, but I, I just like talking about Quentin Byfield because he's such an interesting prospect to me. And you know, and you guys have seen more of him than than I have. But are these Eric Lindros comparisons are they valid? Do you think do you think it's legitimate to say he's got an Eric Lindros type of skill set? No. No? No. Interesting. No, come on. Eric Lindros is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. I mean... But what, I, at I, one point, I, I that's, that's a fair Lindros, answer. No, yeah, it's but, a good answer. But, Let's hear it. But Eric Lindros in Major Junior Hockey and Quentin Byfield in Major Junior Hockey, are they're not the same player. I mean, Eric Lindros was the best player in the world who was outside the NHL at that age. He was. He, he, was, he was, was Shaquille O'Neal on skates. Yeah, he, he was... He was dominant, dominant, dominant. And, I mean, Quentin Byfield's a really good player, and I like him, and I think he's going to be a very good NHLer. But to compare him to Eric Lindros at this stage, I, I, don't, I, I don't see it. I but don't at least, see it. But stylistically, the size... Yep. The skill. Is he as mean as Lindros at that age? Mm. Lindros punished no, guys no. on the forecheck. Yeah. No, no, he's not. Lindros no, he's hurt not. you. Lindros, yeah. Lindros was vicious. He, he was Tom age. Wilson yeah. with Lindros was skill. vicious at right. that age. He had yes. the Tom yeah. Wilson yeah. body yeah. And, and physicality, except yeah. he would I mean, also... it was a different league. I mean, it was yeah. a way more... It was a way tougher league yeah. when Eric Lindros played than it is now. But the skill um, level in the OHL I, now I, yeah, is yeah. so much greater yeah, than I'm, it was. I'm not... I'm not... Going near that one. Sorry, not yeah. going near it. He's a Quentin Byfield's a really good player. He's a special player. He's going to be very good. He's going to be a very good NHL player. He's going to be a high draft pick. Mm. But I, I, I'm not going near those Eric Lindros comparisons yeah. now. Not a chance. I would say, like, if you want to give somebody an idea of how he plays in terms of the big body, the skill. I, I think it's fair to say Lindros, but that's why, like, when we do these player comps, it's important to be like, uh, we're not saying he's going to be exactly like Patrick yeah. Kane. Yeah. We're saying that, like, he reminds us of him, but there's right. going to be a lot of factors. Best case scenario. Best case is, scenario, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. But I, I also like to point out, like, you know, at one point, I'm sure somebody was like, Ah, they're comparing Eric Lindros to Wayne Gretzky or, you know, whoever. It's like, well, Gordy nobody, Howe, yeah, or Gordy Howe. Yeah, like, sure. nobody's Mark Gordy Howe. It's like, well, somebody Mark had to at some point. Yeah, but you know Eventually, what? Eventually, you know, Sidney Crosby became Sidney Crosby. But you know what? When, like, you guys were just little gaffers when this guy was playing junior hockey. How old yeah. were you in, uh, in well, 1990, 89? I, I was, like, seven years old, but I was already, like, an obsessed, <laughs> crazy hockey nerd, which is why I'm here right now. I was like, Eric Lindros <laughs> plays for the Oshawa Generals. He's a great player. Like, I knew all about it, right? Right. He went to the Albertville Olympics, 1992. I knew my, I knew my stuff even okay. at that age. Okay, okay. Yeah. but 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 people were saying these things about Eric Lindros about he that that they were comparing him to Mark Messier. They were comparing him to guys yeah. like that, and and they were right. They were right. I mean, he was the best player in the world for a period of about four years, in a big way. I, <laughs> Is Quentin Byfield going to be the best player in the world for Man, a someone's going to clip. Years? Someone's going to clip this. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just I, like I'm saying. Like I'm not. I'm not denigrating the kid. I'm just saying let's pump the brakes a little bit yeah. here. He's a special player. He's a good player, but good player, good player, good player, good, good player. player, good man. You know, does everything right. Uh, treats his family well. Plays the game the right way. Uh, yeah. But but I, I yeah I'm I'm not on board with that uh, with that Lindros stuff. Not yet. Anyways. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna end on that. Quentin Byfield is not, I repeat, not <laughs> Eric Lindros. And that's final for now. Thank you for listening to everybody. Uh, thank you to our sponsor as well, Christian Hockey. And if you want to talk fantasy hockey, you can meet me right here in like 71 hours. I'll be right back here wearing different clothes. And we'll, we'll talk some uh, fantasy hockey, all right? I'll see you later.